A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Gen Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. Risen Christ, we thank you for this day and the significance of it and the hope that your risen life gives us. And we pray now by your Holy Spirit that you would use these words to strengthen our faith and to call people to faith in the risen and crucified Christ. We love you and we praise you. We pray that you would be glorified through this. In Christ's name, amen. Last week I read an article by an atheist in which she admitted that even unbelievers during this time of pandemic could use a little religion. She said, although I certainly don't believe in God, maybe a little religion would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Can everybody hear me okay? Give me a nod because I just heard somebody said they can't. Yes. Make sure you're muted, folks. Thank you. So she, this, this writer said that... Uh, even though she doesn't believe in God, maybe a little religion would be useful. Uh, she said, quoting here, we need ways to express gratitude, to face death, and we need community and ritual. I hope that this writer continues to search for truth with an open heart and an open mind, and I can appreciate what she says about the comforts of religion. But as I read that article, I couldn't help thinking about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The Apostle Paul would say with all the apostles that if Jesus's life, death, and resurrection did not really happen in history, then all the rituals and the community and the ways that religion gives us to face death and express gratitude 
All that might help us muddle through, but ultimately, in the end, it's futile, it's empty. Friends, Christians believe that Easter is about something that really happened in time and in space, that God intervened in history over 2,000 years ago when he raised Jesus' corpse that was lying in a tomb outside of Jerusalem by his power to new and eternal life. I want to talk to you today about some of the historical details in this gospel reading that we just had from Matthew that I think can bolster our confidence, our faith in the reality of the resurrection. And then I want to briefly talk about the relevance of the resurrection today. So we're going to talk about the reality of the resurrection and then the relevance of the resurrection today. So first, some of those historical details. First of all, there's the important detail of the women as the first witnesses to the empty tomb and the risen Christ. Gospel of Matthew tells us that it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How would you like to be remembered as the other Mary? The other Mary was probably the mother of James, not the mother of our Lord. It was a popular name back then. But Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene and this other Mary were the first ones to discover the empty tomb. And they went to the tomb at the the dawn of the first day. They discovered that the tomb was empty, and then they encounter this angel who proclaims to them, Jesus who was crucified is not here, he's risen, just as he said. And then he tells them to come and see for themselves the place where he lay. So the women were the first to discover The tomb was empty. And then as they're running back to tell the disciples, they encounter the risen Christ. And he sends them on their way to to share this news with the disciples. The women were the first witnesses to the resurrection, to the empty tomb. Now, why is that an important historical detail? Well, as you know, in the first century, the world was quite patriarchal. And a woman's testimony was generally not considered reliable, both in Jewish and in Roman courts. Of course, that's not a a good thing, but that's just the way the culture was. So here's the point. If you were making this story up, as some skeptics claim, as, as those who don't believe in the Gospels claim, if you're making this story up, why would you make women the witnesses in a culture that mistrusts their testimony. After Jesus's crucifixion, the male disciples are cowered in fear. They're the ones that are hiding. It's the women who bravely venture out. This is an embarrassing look for the male disciples, not the kind of story they would tell if they were making it up. So that's an important historical detail. The women as the first witnesses. The second important historical detail, of course, is the empty tomb. This is a major piece of historical evidence. 
The tomb is empty. So where is the body of Jesus? Now we're told in chapter 27 of Matthew that the Jewish leaders went to Pilate after Jesus's death. And they came to him and said, this man, this imposter said that he was going to rise again on the third day. So let's, let us have a guard and, and we can seal the tomb and guard it so that his disciples don't come and steal the body. And then they would claim that Jesus really did rise from the dead. So Pilate allowed them to have a guard. And Matthew talks about the guards in this story. Matthew tells us that they got the shock of their life when an earthquake began to shake and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and rolled away the stone and they trembled and it says they became like dead men. Seems that they fainted from fear, which is a, an extreme reaction, but it does happen, a natural reaction to acute anxiety and fear. And then what happens uh, to the guards after this in Matthew 28 is that they go to the uh, Jewish authorities, the religious leaders, and they tell them what happened. And the authorities say, okay, we've got to cover this up. And they bribe the guards to say that Jesus's body was indeed stolen by the apostles. And they said, you need to say that you were asleep when this happened. And you, again, you can go back to Matthew 28 and you can see it. That, that's the story that they came up with. They had to come up with a story. They had to come up with an explanation. Why? Because the tomb was empty and the body was gone. Now, it wasn't a very good explanation, was it? It's not very plausible. Let's just think about it. Think about a lawyer cross-examining one of these guards. Think about one of those courtroom scenes in Law and Order. And, and the, the guard is sitting there and, and the lawyer begins the cross-examination. So, Mr. Guard, on the night that Jesus' body disappeared, you were supposed to be guarding the tomb, but you fell asleep? Uh, uh, yeah. You know that guards can be severely punished by falling asleep. Do you normally fall asleep on the job? Oh, well, no, but we were, we were really tired. We were all very tired that night. Okay, okay, so let's move on. So you say you were asleep and the body of Jesus was stolen by the disciples. Right, right, that's what I say. So we are supposed to believe that the disciples came and moved this large stone away from the tomb and you didn't wake up or hear anything. That's right. Okay. So you can imagine maybe one of those scenes where the lawyer's walking back to his desk and then he turns around for one final question. If you were asleep the whole time, how do you know the disciples came and stole the body? That story just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Furthermore, why would the disciples be willing to give their life up for a lie they made up? Why would they go through the turmoil of leaving their traditional Judaism for this new religion? Why would they suffer beatings and stonings and beheadings 
for proclaiming that Jesus is risen if they knew all along that they had stolen his body. If the authorities came to me and said, Ben, you have to stop preaching or we're going to take your head off. If I was preaching a lie that I knew I made up, I would say, okay, wait a second. I need to talk to you. I'm going to reconsider. Jesus's tomb is empty. How do you explain it? The idea that his body was stolen doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The apostles proclaimed he's risen and they were willing to die for that proclamation. So you have the witness of the women, you have the empty tomb, and then I just want to consider a little bit more the transformation of the disciples. When Jesus died on the cross, the disciples were shattered. It meant that Jesus was not the Messiah. He died this terrible, painful, horrific, and shameful death on the cross to no avail. And so why were the women coming to Jesus's tomb in the morning? Not to, to figure out or to discover whether or not it was empty. They were coming to prepare their to pay their respects to Jesus and to prepare his body for burial. They were in mourning. They were in grief. But then by the end of the story, they're filled with great joy, it says in verse 8. They came quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Of course, fear because they've just encountered an angel. They've just encountered Jesus. They are freaked out. Their world has just turned upside down. It's become disorientated. Everything has changed. There's this mix on Easter morning of, of awe and wonder and fear and joy. And you see that happening as the story unfolds with the rest of these apostles. Jesus appeared for weeks after this. And what we see is that as they encountered the risen Christ, these disciples, these first disciples, they go from grief to joy, from fear of being associated with Jesus, locked in a room for fear of the religious authorities, to being bold proclaimers of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, willing again to risk their very lives. So these three details that we see in this gospel, the witness of the women, the empty tomb, and the transformation of the disciples, they're like three strands of a cord as they're woven together. They began to make a strong case for the reality of the resurrection. I don't know who's listening to this or who is going to listen to this after it's recorded and uh, will be put up on our website. I hope that you'll share it with uh, friends and, and through social media. But I just want to say to folks that may, may be skeptical about the resurrection, of course, there are a lot more issues and questions to wrestle with when it comes to the resurrection, historical and philosophical. We've just been able to wade a little bit into this very deep pool. And if you have questions about it, I would love to, to talk to you more. But here's a point I want to make to those who might be skeptical about this. If you're a serious person and you're serious about issues like God 
and eternity and truth, you need to wrestle with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If this is true, it changes everything. And it's the most important thing that has happened in history. So on that note, I, I wanna talk about why it's relevant. Talked about some reasons to believe in the reality of the resurrection, but let me just share with you why it's relevant today, over 2000 years ago. And you all can probably preach this as well as I can, because we're in this terrible time of pandemic. And uh, I think even the queen said the other day, we need Easter more than ever. I heard an illustration, a humorous illustration by another pastor about the relevance of the resurrection. He talked about a time when he went out to dinner with his young family. He had four young children at the time. His son was four years old, like my son, Sam, and uh, his son was named Daniel. And they went to one of these restaurants where there's TVs everywhere on the wall. And um, his four-year-old son was watching the Roadrunner cartoon. You remember that cartoon? My kids don't remember. They've never seen it. So we're going to have to introduce them to the Roadrunner. But, you know, you had Wiley Coyote, and, the, and he's always trying to get the Roadrunner. And he puts uh, dynamite on roller skates to try to catch up with the Roadrunner or shoots himself out of a cannon. And, and he tries to blow the Roadrunner up or drop an anvil on top of the Roadrunner. And it always goes bad for Wiley Coyote. He can never defeat the Roadrunner. And so little four-year-old Daniel is watching this. He's just transfixed by it. As the dinner continues on, and it was a lengthy dinner, he's watching the Roadrunner just kind of over and over. And he has an epiphany after watching it for a long time. During a lull in the conversation, without taking his eyes off the screen, he announces, no matter what he does, he's never going to get the chicken. No matter what he does, he's not going to get the chicken. A pastor told that story to make this point. No matter what we do, there are some enemies in our life that we are not going to be able to defeat. There is the enemy of sin. We may try to be good. We, we try to be good. We try to live up to our standard of goodness, but still we find ourselves hurting people that we love, doing things that we know are wrong, adopting attitudes that, that we know are, are not really congruent with the, the person that we want to be. We live under this burden of, of guilt because of that. And we certainly don't live up to God's perfect standard of goodness and righteousness. And that means that we are guilty in the eyes of God. We can't defeat this enemy of sin on our own. And then we're very much aware of the enemy of death. This weekend marked a grim milestone in the pandemic. Over 100,000 people have died. We are reminded as never before of the reality and the inevitability of death. And no matter what we do, we in our own power are not going to defeat that enemy. 
But friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us there is somebody who has defeated these enemies. He has defeated death. C.S. Lewis wrote this, that Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. There is somebody whose death has made a way for our sins to be dealt with. Forgiven by God. Cast as far away as the east is from the west. Jesus has won a victory we could never win. He defeats the enemies we could never defeat. And when we are united to Christ by faith, we share in his victory. After these two Marys encountered the risen Christ, the text tells us they did two things. And these two things are the appropriate response to Christ and the victory that he has won for us. Number one, they fell at his feet and worshiped him. Today, we are worshiping Christ, not in the way that we would love to do. We're doing the best we can, but we're worshiping the risen Christ. And the second thing that they did is they witnessed to Christ. They were commissioned by Christ to tell the brothers, the other disciples, that he's risen. That is the right response to the risen Christ, our victor, to worship him and to witness to him, the one who's defeated sin and death. Amen. Let me say a brief prayer. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our trust in, and our understanding of the reality of the resurrection. And as we are strengthened in our faith by your spirit and by your grace, we would overflow and worship and witness. And I pray for anyone who might hear this message that has questions that remain skeptical, that they would search with an honest and open mind and heart these things. And if they have more questions, that they would find somebody they can talk, talk with about these things. Lord, during this time of global pandemic, draw people into your kingdom through this word of hope that's found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>